This episode is brought to you by FastCase and its comprehensive suite of legal intelligence tools. FastCase offers the full suite from legal research to analytics, document tracking to secondary treatises, AI tools, legal news, and more. FastCase is the smarter way to run your law library. And now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Ed Walters, and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded on location at the American Association of Law Libraries annual meeting and conference from my hometown, Washington, D.C. Joining me today, I have Damian Real and Joshua Walker. Guys, would you introduce yourselves? Damian? I'm Damien Real. Uh, I've been a lawyer since 2002. Uh, also a coder since 85, for the web since 95. Uh, I clerked for some judges, worked for a large law firm, and then uh, worked for a bit in legal tech, uh, did some cybersecurity, and now I, I do really cool stuff with Fastcase. When Damien says that, it's like uh, Elon Musk saying he's an automotive enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> he's an amazing guy. We'll just leave it at that for now. Right. Yeah. Uh, my name is Joshua Walker. Uh, I'm an attorney slash nerd. And uh, I am the author of On Legal AI. Okay, so today we're going to actually talk about, uh, this is your first book? This is my first book, So yes. your first book, which is coming out today. Um, yeah, so you'll be listening to this after the fact. Today is July 15th. Yes. Uh, the launch day for your book. So how did this book come about? Well, I uh, sent you an email, actually, is how it came about. Come on, uh, you were writing it before that. Well, I probably have a few books in my head, like everybody else. I'm sure Damien's got two or three in his back pocket as we sit. And I'm sure you've got four or five. Uh, so, you know, a lot of it, when I was starting a company called Lex Machina in 20, 2006, 2007, uh, the only books I found that were useful were in, not generally legal treatises. Some of them, yes. Uh, empirical stuff was useful, but it was books about founders starting companies, and it was by the founders themselves. People that had done everything from going from zero to building a business. Give us an example. Uh, There's a book called Founders at Work, and it told the story of like the number three guy at Yahoo, right? And so I read the story of the number three guy, and we ended up getting Jerry Yang as an investor, who was the number one guy at Yahoo, right? So, or I didn't know that. Jerry Yang is an investor in Lex Machina? He was, yeah, back in the day. So it's all all, uh, ancient history now. But Jerry Yang, uh, Joe Lonsdale, one of the Palantir co-founders. So there were a lot of interesting people, but the stories by the entrepreneurs themselves was really important. And if you've been ever out there and had your own shingle or you've joined a new law firm as a partner, you know you're starting from, from, from nothing. You have to create something from nothing. And I found those stories much more useful than, than very abstract stuff. So it was partly that and partly a desire to uh, lay some foundational groundwork for what I think is a new field, law and computer science. So there's a very practical side, entrepreneurship. There's the law and computer science kind of nerd, qualitative meets quantitative art stuff. We talked about Chicago a minute before, uh, Ed, and that, that, that was part of the journey. And then the third piece is I think there's a lot of nonsense around artificial intelligence these days, including what it is, and there's a lot of snake oil out there. So it was a desire to, if you will, confront some of the stupidities of our time and, and see what we could do. Uh, so um, it must be a little frustrating, Damien, as someone who has worked a little bit with artificial intelligence, to hear like a lot of the marketing pablum around uh, 
you know, people claiming that there's artificial intelligence in their blender or um, in their uh, juice dispenser. Um, and whenever I talk to you about that, you seem like pretty frustrated about that. Maybe say a couple of words about that. <laughs> I, I am really frustrated about it. And I will say that uh, Joshua Walker's book is a breath of fresh air to cut through a lot of that BS. Because really, uh, artificial intelligence is just software that is sufficiently advanced that makes people go, wow. Uh, Google Maps was AI back in the day, but now it's just the way people get around. Uh, so when people say, AI these days and bouncing it around as though it's magic, that's essentially a synonym, magic, right? You can do magic. Well, no, you can do software that can do a cool thing. And what Joshua Walker's book does is really gets to the heart of this is just really smart people solving problems incrementally. Not They're not wizards with wands. They're just changing things, hopefully for the better, using data to be able to improve people's lives. Uh, if you call yourself an innovator, um, then be skeptical. If you say, I'm solving a problem, somebody else calls you an innovator, that was such a good part of the book, to say, maybe you want to pay attention to the person that doesn't call themselves an innovator, but somebody else does. Joshua, is there a concern that people um, who are overhyping AI might discredit the entire field? Uh, well, that happened to AI itself, right? I mean, I think, uh, it, it, not just legal AI, but, but there was, um, the term came from a, a conference at Dartmouth, and I think in 1960-something or other. 56. 56, sorry, thank you. That, that would, there would be a high five, it was more <laughs> audible, but we haven't mic'd the fives yet. Uh, so, you know, I, don't, I think it was a bad decision to even call it artificial intelligence, because even if it were true at the time, even if the capabilities were there, it set expectations massively high, which caused probably a funding spike in the short term, but then when they crashed, when they couldn't fulfill those promises, uh, inevitably there was a, a downturn, things got cut, people you know, lost, and, and we, we lost a lot of time because of that. I think with legal AI in particular, the more humble we are, the more likely we are to get real results uh, on, on big projects that, that matter. So I don't, know, I don't know, did I answer your question, Ed, or no, we I, can keep talking about that? I think you did, I mean, and we've seen this kind of boom-bust cycle um, several times now. I think this is sort of the third peak of artificial intelligence. Let me ask, uh, Damien, do you think this time is going to be different? I, I think so, and, and to maybe piggyback on what he just said is that uh, the AI, AI bust in the past has largely been computer scientists becoming disillusioned with uh, the promises of AI in the past, and then you had the AI winter. And I would say for legal AI, it's maybe even higher stakes because lawyers generally are skeptical people. We, we say, show me the facts, show me the facts. And also, lawyers are less like scientists, uh, lawyers are less technologically savvy than scientists are. So the, if you don't fulfill your promises to lawyers, they'll say a pox on all of your people. And then the, there's a really big danger of AI winter, even more so than the AI, AI winters we've done in the past. They might even quote Shakespeare when they're doing that, too. So. <laughs> they, they, Absolutely. They, or, or, you know, a winter is coming. Highbrow, like <laughs> <Right. that. laughs> brow, low brow, we'll see. Yeah. We'll get both, yes. <laughs> um, do you think this time is going to be different? Uh, just, just to, uh, before I take that question, and I think... I, I think there's I think there's a complex answer to that, but I wanted to highlight something that Damien said before, which is that, you know, AI is just data. It's just the same things we've been doing. When when we were selling this kind of stuff, and again, 2007, 2008, in the in the in the economic winter, right, uh, in the crash, to East Coast law firms that you know everything above a grand had to get approved by the senior senior partner, like the the guy that was in the chair that was semi-retired or woman who was semi-retired. And um, you have to sell history. You say, you quote Santayana and you say, 
you know, those who do not know their history are doomed to repeat it. And that's really true. It's all about using the data and figuring out something that's better, whether it's with a judge or whoever for that. So I, I think it's, if you, if you look at it that way, it's more and more sophisticated ways of looking at history. And that's where the liberal arts meets the quantitative sciences. I think it's going to be a little different. Uh, so in the book, we talk about a hype ratio. So if, when it takes about a year to do this stuff. So at the beginning, Bitcoin was at, I don't know, $30,000 or something crazy. And the hype ratio on Bitcoin was probably about 10 to 1, right? 10, 10 hype you know, to 1 reality. And then it crashed. Blockchain, maybe 5 to 1. But eventually, as those crashes happen, there becomes an inversion. With AI, I would, in general, I'd say the hype ratio is about three to one. The promise in the marketing is about three times as high as the reality, but that's still, within that, there's, within that penumbra of mush, of, of sort of pablum, is this hardcore of heat where people are doing real things. You're using it every day, Ed, in your products. Uh, you know, lawyers are using it every day, whether in, in ancillary services or in direct things. And, you know, we're, we're um, in California, uh, April, July 12th, the Board of Trustees came out with a recommendation through a, partly through a task force that I'm, I'm part of, that said, not recommending anything, but they're going to look at the potential provision of, of uh, legal services through software, through properly certified things. It's gonna be examined. So I think something is coming. We don't know what it is yet. Uh, and again, the more humble we are, the more we try to learn, the more agile we are, the more it's likely to bear fruit. The more it's driven by the perception of, I want my firm or my, my practice to look innovative, I think that's, that cr increases the risk that we're going to fall down. There seems to be a lot of kabuki theater around uh, innovation and artificial intelligence where it seems like not just law firms, businesses of all kinds yes. feel like they need to show a little artificial intelligence razzle-dazzle. Yes. <laughs> and if you look at the market, the vast majority of this market is actually on R&D. It's not on operational scaling. Um, you know, I think if you look at the history of science, and I'd love to hear your impression about whether we're going to fall down or whether it's going to keep going, uh, Ed, uh, everything is entropy. The time between getting an innovation and having it go to market, whether it's a steam engine or something a lot more complicated, like you know, uh, auto, uh, automation, autonomy, um, there's just a lot of entropy in getting the data squared away. Um, I think the head of AI for IBM was saying the other day that their biggest problem is data, getting data organized and making it happen, and I wouldn't underestimate that. So I wouldn't underestimate the speed of innovation when it does click in, when people do the hard work, but until that time, I think it's a long road. What do you think is going to happen with this you know, round of AI? I think it's going to be different. Um, I think there is going to be a letdown. The market's going to deflate. It has to because it's been so overhyped. And I think this time is different. I think that especially the amount of data that's available in digital format is a real differentiator. The processing power is greater. The storage capacity is greater. The state of the art uh, for the tools is greater. Now, uh, I am a huge believer in AI tools. I'm a huge skeptic about magical thinking around artificial intelligence. Uh, I'm constantly seeing people talking about creating robot lawyers or you know, these Terminator robots that are gonna change trucking or something. Uh, and so I'm, I'm pretty, uh, not just skeptical about magical thinking, I'm downright uh, angry about 
magical thinking around AI. Damien, you've seen this in a number of uh, incarnations. You must have you must have an opinion about the kind of hype to substance ratio. I do, and I, I know a lot of lawyers in particular are really scared about robot lawyers, and they're scared uh, because they see that their markets are shrinking. As more lawyers get onto the, you know, into business, uh, that's fewer jobs that they can take, and so there's they're really competing against each other for a shrinking marketplace as people are using legal services less. So the whole idea of a robot lawyer, as you discussed, is terrifying to them because they see their market shrinking at the same time they see technology infringing they see in their work, and really that um, as somebody who's worked on the front lines of building artificial intelligence machines, um, we are not going to replace insight, uh, insight machines that are lawyers anytime soon because the insights are what you provide to your clients. Anybody who can be replaced by a lawyer is not sufficiently uh, called a lawyer because you are a counselor for a reason. They call you a counselor because you can have human insights into human uh, uh, relationships where you can tell your clients what the data means the AI can say what the data is, you as a good lawyer interpret that data for your clients who need your help. So like you, I think that lawyers are really scared of something that uh, really is not going to happen, uh, which makes me optimistic that our tools, uh, which is essentially addressing a much uh, less structured data set in the legal realm than maybe in the more structured data of other big data sources, um, now the tools are there to be able to take that unstructured data and be able to do some really cool stuff with it. If I can add to that, I think people should not be afraid of Terminator-like robot lawyers. I think they should be afraid of cyborgs. Specifically, consulting and accounting firms using AI or legal AI. So that is really happening right now. And if you look at, say, contract review or something like that, it's a huge, it's a pretty big market, maybe $18 billion a year in the US. Everyone does some of it. It's hard to draft contracts still. That has not changed since the Declaration of Independence, if not before. But uh, what a lot of these accounting and consulting firms are doing is they're partnering very agilely with either providers or they're partnering with uh, AI companies. And so they have this automated leverage. So they can do a contract review you know, 100 times faster than you know, individuals. Now, it's not as good. I guess my call to action to the, to the bar is let's get going, right? It is going to be, you're much better off as a client getting an attorney like Damien to be doing this with AI that he's leveraging, right? That is much more powerful for you uh, than, than say a pure LPO or, or accounting firm doing it because you understand the nuances of the law, you're thinking about risk and not just you know, what the literal terms of the contract are. So I think the cyborgs are already here and if we don't want to see the bar kind of whittled away at over the next 10 years, even more, right? Because it should be a much bigger industry than it is right now. As, as healthy as it might seem, it should be much bigger. And it, and it could be much bigger than it's ever been if we leverage these tools as well because of the economies of scale. I think so. And, and really, your cyborg, you know, humans plus machines are better than either of them individually. You know, we've talked about the centaurs in the past that, uh, that you can do that. But I would argue that... I think we're getting magic realists now, if not, <laughs> if not magical thinking. That's yeah. right. <laughs> right. Uh, but it's something, an insight that I, I just got from what you would, just said is that you just have, don't just have centaurs, but two different uh, species of centaurs. That is the, the expert species, that is the lawyer, and the inexpert species, species that is an accounting a 22-year-old that just graduated from, uh, got a BS in accounting that is now trying to solve legal problems in ways that they don't understand. So uh, much like- Could be uh, another kind of hybrid animal too, but uh, <laughs> maybe we won't go there. By the way, just-, just Stop for, metaphor here. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to spell the metaphor out a little bit because I, I concern, I'm concerned that some of our listeners might not understand the centaur analogy. It mm -hmm. comes from chess, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's right. Yeah. So uh, the idea that, uh, you know, 
humans beat computers uh, many, many times, and then uh, to the point that chess masters said, oh, computers will never beat us. But then they did. And then uh, there was a much uh, wailing and moaning, and then they realized, oh gosh, perhaps humans plus computers might do better than either of them individually. And so now they have centaur competitions in chess, uh, where they, they fight and, and they are able to, a computer plus a machine can beat uh, any computer or any human in a way. Um, and so that's, that's really exciting, uh, but I've just heard that uh, state of the art is that uh, perhaps computers uh, have now, through adverse neural networks, are maybe even beating centaurs. Uh, but that's the bad news. But the good news, I would argue that chess is a defined rule set that uh, there are only so many permutations that you could do on the chessboard. In contrast, the law is a near infinite rule set with near infinite rules, with near infinite jurisdictions, um, where being able to define those things where a computer can run rampant across centaurs, it's going to be a very long time, if ever. We need humans to be able to essentially, uh, it's as though the chessboard keeps expanding or it's, it's almost uh, super expansive, and we need lawyers to be able to define those rules to be able to help computationally. It's interesting too, so Joshua, you are a co-founder of Lex Machina. It's a place where structured data and computer processing uh, didn't replace lawyers, didn't right. uh, create robot lawyers. It actually created an entirely new domain. It expanded what is possible uh, for lawyers who provide legal services. They can use the data and the tools to provide a kind of service they never could before. Uh, it is kind of market enabling in a way. Do you think there is that potential for artificial intelligence uh, beyond even Lex Machina? V very much so. I think we're in the, the first 5% of that market discovery. So, and in, in the reason, and we started during the recession of 2009, right? It was in, in the bowels of Silicon Valley, and it was a sales tool. And that's why people had to have it. Because if you were in pitching a, a patent lawsuit in front of a judge, or, or now it's any kind of lawsuit, it could be Delaware, it could be state, it could be contract, um, tax, uh, you know, as, as, as uh, 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 Docket Alarm does, you know, these tools enable you to, it's a, it's a, it makes you equal to someone who has local knowledge of that judge in some ways. In some ways it might make you more than equal. And so it created a tool for people to understand better. We also gave it away free to the judiciary and the, and the press. So that was very, very important to us. And we had, you know, Vaughn, we had to fight for that, by the way. So it was, a, it was a battle. Some courts did not want their data out there for various reasons, unfortunately. And uh, Vaughn Walker and Andy Cal went through and gave us an order. We had to, we had to brief it, right? It was, uh, and, and, and that, was, that was very fortunate. So it became a tool. Right, gave you an order saying what? He could access our, our, their data, right? This was at the time where it was still an academic project. So that was, that was allowed. But because we were able to do that, we were able to help the courts uh, enormously. So we trained, I went out and trained clerks from all over the country. Uh, we, uh, I don't know if the Supreme Court ever used it, but certainly the White House, we gave access to them, the PTO, uh, we did a project for the GAO. All of a sudden, you have this system data about what's going on. So on the one hand, it was helping lawyers like get stuff done and finding deals and, and surviving, right? On the other, it was giving you system data about the performance in general. If there was a jerk who was you know, doing crazy stuff in all kinds of different cases across all different kinds of judges, you could see that activity all of a sudden. So there was data in the system, and that's a profound change. How well are our systems of law performing? We have no idea. How, how, you know, family law in California, or in Illinois, or the contract law enforcement system, we have no clue. 
that's an entirely new market. And the other thing that's a new market um, with a company called Aon now, and they're trying to map intellectual property data to sea levels, to risk managers, to you know financiers. That's a whole new market that has never existed before that's being made possible by the availability of data. And the, the last thing I'll say, which is incredibly important, is the long tail. All the people that are not using legal services right now that would love to. That was an air high five for those of you who couldn't see us in person. So I think there is an enormous, enormous market for helping individuals, and I mean individuals. I don't, I mean, I'm not talking rich individuals, I'm talking everybody. And I think that market is one of the most important to our legal system to actually be used for the purpose that it was designed for. Just not being, it's not happening now because about, I would say 98% of that market is not served right now because lawyers are too expensive per hour. Mm -hmm. and, and Bill Henderson would call the people law segment. Uh, that's yeah. right. And I would say that, uh, you know, I'd spoken earlier about the legal market shrinking, uh, but it's shrinking for the targeted demographic that we've been thinking of as the legal market in the past. But as you say, there is a, a whole mass of legal market that is currently being unserved. And so through, you know, machines, we might be able to let the lawyers that are currently use an Iron Man-like exoskeleton to be able to serve those folks uh, without having to have the machines eat their lunch, but actually humans can actually eat, uh, eat more of the market uh, to mix those metaphors. Right. So Iron Man's stomach as well. <laughs> um, if I could make a note on that, you know, when we were starting out, uh, there was a recession and we literally hired, I think, nine furloughed, they were either SLS or Harvard, I mean, really good uh, students from all over the country. We hired like nine furloughed. Uh, 3Ls who just graduated. And we used them to help build the system that helped all these other lawyers. So in addition to actually using these tools, actually building them takes a lot of good lawyering. As you guys know at, at Fastcase, um, there's an enormous amount of work. If you want to have the best quote unquote AI system, you need to do the hard work of telling it what to look for and, and what's an apple and what's an orange and what's an orangutan. Um, the second is, uh, you know, I before what I'm doing now, I, was, I didn't talk about it so much in the book, but I was a flying car lawyer, right? So I wasn't a flying lawyer that was interested in automotive law uh, or compliance. We were looking at flying EV toll, um, electric uh, vertical takeoff and landing uh, vehicles that were autonomous. And how are you going to build these this things? This isn't a metaphor, actual flying cars. This is an actual flying car that was being assembled and prototyped 10 meters away from me, right? And so. There are new jobs at this stuff too. I just think you have to be learning constantly. Don't don't abandon your traditional law school education, and because that's that's going to be what that's your that's your you know exoskeleton, that's your inner skeleton as well as your exoskeleton. But if you learn to apply these things to new areas, there's enormous amounts of work to do. And I think for AI not to crash in a terrible way in in flames, if you will we have to be applying law to artificial intelligence systems much more than we've been. I think AI is a much bigger legal market than we've thought of in general. The problem is now, we think of ethics and AI, you know, that's consequence-free rules, right? What we need, we need good legal counsel, sound common sense thinking behind these types of efforts. And so I think that's also 
maybe the two or three new markets to echo yep. what Damien was saying. And then with those markets, you, you think of the consumer market, uh, the people law, uh, you think of the corporate market, uh, that sort of law. And I would argue that uh, another market is uh, judges. Uh, I talked to a judge about uh, some of the work that Sam Harden was doing in Florida, about you know seeing this type of judge finds against DUIs this percentage of the time, et cetera. Um, I spoke to, I have many friends of judges, as I'm sure you both do too. Uh, and one of those friends that's judge said, I would love to have that data. I would love to see whether my bias, my personal bias, is making my way into my judicial bias. And, and to see, to be able to temper that to the extent I need to. So in addition to people law and corporate law, you also have judicial law that's a huge market for to be able to be users of this AI. Michael Sander, the uh, founder of Dock and Alarm, told a story today where he was on a panel with a couple of judges saying, you know, Michael was saying, I can now tell you how you rule on certain cases. And on the panel, the judges says, yeah, you know, we're really not interested in that. We sort of call balls and strikes. We call them as we see them. I, I'm not really interested in the analytics. And then after the panel, they both said, um, hey, can we see those analytics? <laughs> <laughs> Sunlight is the best of disinfectants. Yes. Well, that's right. You know, see, it's interesting, too. You were talking about before the latent market. In 2014, Rebecca Sandifer did uh, this huge longitudinal study for the American Bar Foundation, where she followed 2,100 people um, and saw where they had legal problems and then tried to figure out how they resolved them. And they the choose them randomly, or did, how did they yes. choose them? Wow. Yes, and so uh, the result of the survey was that 80% of people with legal problems were resolving them outside of the legal services market, and 20% were resolving them with the help of a lawyer. So uh, an estimate I've seen recently is that the size of the U.S. legal services market is about $437 billion with a B dollars. That's 20%. Now, I, I don't think that the latent 80% is four times as big as that $437 billion, but I think there's every reason to think that it's bigger. I, I think it's a trillion. I, I agree. I think that the, the full size of the legal services market just in the U.S. is probably more like one trillion with a T dollars. Now, today, lawyers and law firms using their existing legal services and their billing models can't service that market. There's no way to make enough money. It's not repeatable. There's a marketing challenge. But isn't this one of the promises of artificial intelligence that we can mechanize and automate some of the legal services in a way that is more repeatable, in a way that doesn't replace the 20%, but reaches out into the 80%, that we can serve more people uh, in a way that is more just and more complete uh, and cost them less, and expand greatly the market for legal services, have lawyers making a lot more money as well, practicing at the top of their degree, and fewer unemployed and underemployed lawyers. Uh, Ed, we're going we're gonna to coin this term and name it after you. We're going to call it the hidden trillion. <laughs> and, it, and maybe it's uh, in market size, but maybe it's also the happy faces you get from actually helping people with real problems. Because I think so many of our state and federal systems are just broken from an individual perspective. Not talking about enterprise, but even for enterprise often. We have these broken systems that we don't track, we can't measure. Yes, we try to do interstitial justice in the middle of it, and we try to do a good job. But the vast majority of people don't have access to things, don't even know they've got issues. You had mentioned uh, Bill Henderson before. His study was one of the things that provoked the California Bar to create this task force. And again, I'm not speaking on their behalf right now. I'm just an individual. Um, but I think the, the entire purpose of this is to give people greater access to justice and, and legal help in a way that's never been before. And we have to enable the regulation to unleash that. 
My personal bias is to let lawyers drive it. We want lawyers to drive this conversation. We don't want to be pulled by our feet, you know, behind the wagon, if you will. What and happens if lawyers don't do it? I, they just keep atrophying, right? I think the consultants and accountants are going to be out innovating, out investing in them, you know, and, and individual solos in small practices need your help to enter this market, right? It's hard for them to build software. They need a Damien, they need a, a whole team behind that. But when you do that, when you provide these SaaS type platforms, you know, AWS for law, you do start to unleash that market, um, but we need the regulation to help them as well so that there's, there's mixed models that we can go through. I, I would agree with that. And I would say that you know, to get to that $1 trillion number that I, I think all three of us agree is probably, probably the right number, or at least around there, I would say to get there, um, all of us know that building systems is hard if there's a bottleneck in one part of the system that doesn't go nearly as fast as the other parts we're building. And I think that we in the private sector, you at Aon and we at Fastcase, are really building really fast systems that can really do good things. But to get to that $1 trillion number, um, there's a bottleneck, and that's the courts, that the courts um, need to be able to ingest and export data in ways that work with our systems. And if, if they, um, I think there's an opportunity for many of the judges, of whom, uh, some of which are friends, that have told me, uh, being able to push uh, pro se people, people without representation through our system, is a huge tax on our, on our uh, courts. And it takes a lot of time and energy to be able to help those people. And I thought and told them, there's ways to help with that if you help us interact with you and help those pro se people um, actually uh, be able to participate in our justice system the way that you as judges want them to participate. There, hey. There's an app for that. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, sorry. I need to preach. Please. Okay, so I'm preaching about your book. Thank you. Um, so I, I, I write and talk a lot about artificial intelligence and law. My dad is a litigator in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And frequently he'll watch me speak and he will come away saying, I buy it 100%. I completely agree with everything you're saying. Now what do I do? And I'm buying him a copy of your book. Because uh, <laughs> I think what, 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 uh, what on Legal AI uh, really does, it says artificial intelligence is not the domain for data scientists. It is not... Um, for egghead lawyers, um, even though those people will find plenty to like in that book. Artificial intelligence is about the future of legal services and how uh, the way we practice law has to change. And we shouldn't think of it as inaccessible. Your book actually makes it very accessible for anyone, for um, you know, the most sophisticated, savvy lawyer in the market, to a practicing uh, litigator who tries insurance cases, to someone who does you know, small commercial deals uh, and it's very exciting for us. This is uh, the first time that Fastcase uh, in Full Court Press that we are publishing an original treatise. It's the first original book. We published a couple of uh, second or third edition books, which we're also excited about. But uh, On Legal AI is the first original treatise, uh, the first original book being published by Full Court Press. And we're so thrilled, we're so tickled to be able to publish this awesome book. I was just giddy when I read it. I, I couldn't, it's a... Uh, it, when, you, when you sort of hear AI, maybe you're imagining like, you know, uh, quantum physics or something. It's actually a hilarious, wonderful, uh, very accessible, great introduction to the, the topic. I, I agree, and I, to second add uh, that 
you know, it's there. There are great stories in there, and I, I told Joshua before the show that I uh, I laughed. I never laugh out loud at things I read. I laughed at least five times uh, in this. That not only is it a, an important story. Hopefully not it, in mockery. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, there are really funny jokes in there that prove points. And uh, not only are, are you pr pr providing a lot of insights to people that aren't necessarily don't even need to be initiated in the AI culture. You're providing insights in a way that's funny, in a way that's accessible, and a way through storytelling, which we as humans have throughout millennia, that's the way you get points across. So I think that that accessibility through stories, through humor, is really what sets this book apart from others. Joshua, where can people find your book? Uh, they can find it uh, at, at uh, fastcase.com slash ebooks uh, and uh, online as well as on Amazon. So uh, Now what is this Amazon you're, set, you're talking about? It sounds great. Amazon.com. But again, I, I think they have it uh, as well as a preview on fastcase.com slash ebooks. It's an honor to be able to do this and help. Uh, I think you guys are leading the market and uh, uh, I couldn't be honored from when I was sitting in the basement at Stanford uh, writing this stuff. I, I really appreciate it from Lex Machina on, on up. Thank you. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of the road for our episode. Uh, I want to thank Damien and Joshua for joining us today. Um, if our listeners have questions or want to follow up with you in addition to buying your book on Amazon or on Fastcase, uh, how can they reach you? Yeah, you can reach me as well at joshua at aleph.com. That's A-L-E-P-H, uh, Alpha Lima Echo uh, Pirate Hotel.com. Joshua at aleph.com. Or you can find the book on Fastcase. Great. And uh, I'm at Damien Real, first name, last name, D-A-M-I-E-N-R-I-E-H-L. That's Twitter, at Damien Real. Okay, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. I'm Ed Walters, and until next time, thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.